0: Back. Sorry, I get some feedback through my headphones and make me uh, feel crazy. So, welcome back to the Kyle Style Podcast. Brand new episode for you, just in time for the end of February. That is Black History Month once again. Now, last year I did uh, the story of Nate Love and the uh, cowboys in the American West thing, and did a whole radio labish ish kind of thing with the sound effects and all that fun stuff. That was a lot of fun. I really liked that story. You should go back and you know I'll include the link here in the blog post. But uh, it's a uh, it's all. I don't know why this is all so touchy, but it's all very touchy. You know, it's all very kind of unpleasant. And uh, we have this this strained strained and strange relationship with uh, with Black America with other. I don't know, because you want to say all you know people of color, but it's such a like autistic, ham-fisted term. It doesn't doesn't actually compute. Um, it doesn't it doesn't work when you try to lump them all together like that. And specifically, Black America, and and this is something that even conservatives have agreed that you know all these other races and groups, different ethnicities, have all come to the U.S. and they most of them they chose to come here. Um, what their experience was like once they were here might have been maybe more or less positive or more or less negative, but but they uh, they chose to come here. For the most part, the at least the descendants of the American slaves, they obviously didn't choose to come here. We brought them here, and then we proceeded to pretty much treat them like shit for a couple hundred years. I mean, treat them like animals, like livestock. And, and even after emancipation, uh, you know, Jim Crow and segregation and all this other stuff. And this is, this then is the root of this idea of the systemic racism that, uh, it still just pervades society. Uh, even, you know, black people can have like internalized white racism and you have this idea of like global white supremacy, right? That there's this, hegemonic whiteness that permeates the entire world and uh and you know and, and will you that there's no escape from it right and with that in mind however um I I've run up I've run up a little list here of various other, uh, some of my favorite black commentators and, you know, maybe YouTube personalities, that kind of thing, who have various opinions that might differ from this narrative. Uh, They sometimes are just, they just are, some of them are nerds and stuff like that. They just are into whatever they're into. Some of them are very specifically commentating on the black experience in America. Now, this gets kind of tricky because you got a Barack Obama, definitely a part of the black history of America, but you also have a Nate Love, right? You have Tupac, you have a George Foreman, you have, you know, uh, I mean, every prominent black person down to the black guy you ain't never heard of that lives out in the sticks somewhere. They are all part of the history and current, you know, iteration of America, and you get this sense that some people say racism never changed, it never went away, and other people saying we're post-racial here in the U.S., and I don't necessarily know what to think for sure, but they, both sides kind of have points, it just depends on who, what what kind of, what the perspective is that you're looking at, and I understand I'm totally a white dude, and I'm going to start talking about black people, and you might not like some of the stuff some of these black people say that I happen to find either um, humorous, intriguing, compelling, empowering, or informative, or at least just interesting, because it's uh, a black person saying stuff that... You, I guess you, you think that they don't think this way, or that they don't have these kinds of uh, mindsets. It seems like there's this monolithic black person that's been created. I don't know. I'd say by the by the by the more progressive or the more liberal types that there's this certain type of black person, and that they're all oppressed. And if you listen to some of these people that I'm gonna maybe play some clips from, uh, you you might get a different perspective, right? You might get a different vibe from from what their their real experiences are, right? So before we dive in, of course, head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash KyleStyleDesign. Pick up some of my original artwork on some mugs and shirts and prints and all that good stuff, and you'll have some of my original beautiful artwork in your life in a fun, active way. And I get a little portion of the proceeds, so you're also supporting the podcast or you can head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars, and I will continue to talk into this microphone, right, for your entertainment and infotainment, <clears throat> I guess. So this is Kyle Style Podcast, Episode 73, Culture Wars, Jungle Fever. So if you go back to my uh, my uh, previous uh, podcast episode, uh, In the Trenches of the Culture War, I broke down a bunch of different commentators and everybody else who uh, who I think are kind of on point as far as what our culture's doing, where it's going, and I felt like it was pretty diverse, you know, not intentionally, just kind of, that's how it broke down, and some people make more sense than other people, you might have noticed that, and this but this is specifically because of Black History Month and by the time I get this thing out uh maybe a day late and a dollar short but still here it is I already put it into work so when we're talking about black culture in America or you know uh, the the black community for lack of a better term I don't I don't wanna I don't want to cover the ones you already know I don't I don't want I don't want to point to the Jay Zs and the 50 Cents and the, uh, you know, and the I get not even the Ben Carson's or the Barack Obamas, not the, uh, Martin Luther Kings or the Malcolm Xs or the, you know, or the Booker T. Washingtons or even your Frederick Douglass's. That's all. I feel like that's all kind of like, to me, that that was like elementary to middle school level history, right? We're gonna we're gonna go a little different direction here, so. One of the first ones I wanted to start off with is uh, a noted economist who became something of a, like, social activist or a philosopher, and that is Thomas Sowell, and he just kind of has this, he just has this very, it's, it's just very on point. He he knows his specific facts, and he just sticks to those, and he, he you know, sticks to his guns, and... I'm going to play him, uh, this was from the 70s, so the numbers might sound a little weird, you know. Uh, people didn't, <laughs> money back then doesn't translate the same as it does to now. But uh, here he is, uh, destroying a white lady, who wants to talk about uh, feminism and and racial uh, uh, disparities in income. So here's Thomas Sowell.
1: Questions about the economics of job getting... In terms of the blacks versus the whites. The statistics I was able to pull together indicate that at the present time white males make $17,427 on an average basis for the year, black males make $12,738, white females make $10,244, black females make $9,476. It is clear from these figures as indeed I think it's clear to most of us from what we see that there is a discrimination against blacks and against women in our present system. Since not all blacks will be superior, how would you try to even that out so that there would be some equality of job opportunities?
2: Yeah, I, I'm sorry you missed the earlier part of the program when I pointed out that uh, where you find uh, people not represented evenly, that does not show the institutional effect because almost nowhere in human affairs do you find people evenly represented. If you you compare comparable people with respect to age, with respect to education, et cetera, you get a totally different picture, both with respect to blacks and women. Now, the figures that I saw, for example, show uh, more recently that if you take black families where the husband and wife are both college educated and compare them to white family where the husband and wife are both college educated, the black family is now earning $2,000 a year more. The problem is not, the problem is that very few blacks fall in that category. That when you compare category for category, then we're talking about getting people a decent education. I'm saying that you cannot say that numbers collected at the employer's place of business reflect simply the employer's policies. Those, num- those numbers reflect underlying conditions in the whole society. Just as numbers collected at a hospital do not show you that the people are sick because they're in the hospital.
1: No, I, I would agree with that, but you would also have to agree that, generally speaking, women are paid less, for example, for the same jobs as men. No,
2: I would not. I would not agree with that. If you're talking about women with the same number of years of experience, with the same continuous service, et cetera, et cetera, then when I look at that, I don't find that disparity. I find, for example, in many cases, that women are making more, depending on how you break the data down. The difference with women is between, unmarri- is between married women and everybody else. That's the real difference.
1: Well, even as to single women, the Census Bureau statistics, the most recent ones I could find, 1978, say that single men are earning $11,100, and single women are earning $9,300.
2: Yes, I, lo- I love the word single that is used. When I did my study, I didn't use single. I used never married. You see, a woman who is single at age 40, having spent 10 or 20 years raising children, is really not quite the same as a man of age 40 who's been working continuously for 20 years.
0: So that's Thomas Sowell, you know, uh giving an alternate explanation for some of the like, you know, the income disparity. And that's, you know, from I guess the 70s. And that's uh very much a a a differing opinion in terms of what the underlying causes of that uh that maybe it maybe is a real income disparity, but where other people are saying you know, this is because of this institutional racism or sexism, he's just saying, well, you have married people, unmarried people, and the, the, the outcomes are different for different situations, and you don't really solve the problem by just saying that white people or men are being racist or sexist in their hiring practices. Like, that's that could be a factor, maybe, but it's not going to, across the entire society create this disparity it's a difference of outcomes right so that's another kind of uh, perspective on the sort of the stats and everything else now this is uh you know this is uh, thomas Sowell is a call it a man of letters he's an educated man more educated than i am and I find his conclusions completely contrary to a lot of that narrative that we're, that that we're seemingly constantly fed uh, over the last, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what, 20 years, 30 years, maybe. I mean, that it just, it's white racism that is holding black, holding back black people in America. And, then you hear this differing opinion, and it's like, well, I mean, they they got the numbers, they got their research, you know. So, I'll move forward to another one that uh, doesn't. Another another one, uh, another one of these uh, uh, dark skin uh, melanin uh, empowered gentlemen, uh, Larry Elder, who is a uh, he was a lawyer. He hosts the radio show, the 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 Larry Elder Show, and he is another outspoken critic of this, uh, you know, what's commonly called kind of like the victim uh, narrative or the uh, victim mentality. So I'll just let, uh, I'll let Larry Elder
3: uh, lay it out for you here. Is racism still a major problem in America? President Barack Obama certainly thinks so. He said that racism is in our DNA. Really? If racism is in our DNA, doesn't that mean it's immutable? unchangeable, but America has changed, and dramatically so. In 1960, 60% of Americans said they would never vote for a black president. Almost 50 years later, the black man who said racism is in America's DNA was elected president, and four years later, re-elected. That's only the most obvious example of racial progress. There are many others. Take interracial marriage. As William H. Fry of the Brookings Institution wrote, Sociologists have traditionally viewed multiracial marriage as a benchmark for the ultimate stage of assimilation of a particular group into society. Black white marriages were still illegal in 16 states until 1967, and a 1958 Gallup poll found that only 4% of Americans approved of black white marriages. Today, that number is 87%. In 1960, of all marriages by blacks, only 1.7% were black white. Today, it's 12% and rising. Now, what about racial profiling and abuse of blacks by police? Doesn't that prove that racism remains a major problem? In the summer of 2014, Ferguson, Missouri became ground zero for this accusation when a white policeman shot and killed an unarmed black teenager. While a Department of Justice investigation of the incident cleared the officer of any wrongdoing, It did accuse the city's police department of racial bias. But what was the Justice Department's report's most headline-grabbing stat? The gap between the percentage of blacks living in Ferguson, 67%, and the percentage of those stopped by police for traffic violations who are black, 85%, an 18-point discrepancy. Racism, right? Not so fast. Blacks comprise 25% of New York City, but account for 55% of those stopped for traffic offenses, a 30-point discrepancy, far bigger than that of Ferguson. Why isn't the NYPD, a department that is now majority-minority, considered even more institutionally racist than the Ferguson PD? The answer is, you cannot have an honest discussion about police conduct without an honest discussion of black crime. Though blacks are 13% of the population, they commit 50% of the nation's homicides and almost always the victim is another black person, just as most white homicides are against other whites. In 2012, according to the Center for Disease Control, police killed 123 blacks, while, by the way, killing over twice that many whites. But that same year, blacks killed over 6,000 people, again, mostly other blacks. What about traffic stops? Unlike when responding to dispatch calls, police officers exercise more discretion when it comes to traffic stops. Therefore, racist cops can have a field day when it comes to traffic stops, right? Actually, no. The National Institute of Justice is the research agency of the Department of Justice. In 2013, the National Institute of Justice published a study called Race, Trust, and police legitimacy. Three out of four black drivers admitted that they were stopped by the police for a legitimate reason. Blacks, compared to whites, were on average more likely to commit speeding and other traffic offenses. The Institute wrote, seatbelt usage is chronically lower among black drivers. If a law enforcement agency aggressively enforces seatbelt violations, police will stop more black drivers. The NIJ's conclusion? These numerical disparities result from differences in offending. In other words, not because of racism. Similarly, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration also found that blacks violate traffic laws at higher rates than whites. In every offense, whether it's driving without a license, not wearing a seatbelt, not using a child safety seat, or speeding. Is there still racism in America? Of course there is but racism is not in America's DNA. Recent history and a lot of research and data prove it. As liberal Harvard sociologist Orlando Patterson said, America is now the least racist white majority society in the world, has a better record of legal protections of minorities than any other society, white or black, offers more opportunities to a greater number of black persons than any other society, including all of those of Africa. Patterson, by the way, is black.
0: So there's some statistics for you, and the studies and everything else, and it's very challenging, right? You go, God, it's not as clear-cut as even someone like Barack Obama, you know, you would think would be kind of truthful, or at least accurate, and there it is, kind of opposite. And I want to go back to that, uh, he threw out that statistic, which I've I've heard, which is that uh, basically half of almost half of all homicides in the U.S. are committed by by black people. Now, there's th- about 13% of the population is black. Now, you can actually cut that down even more because you know black five year olds aren't committing murders, and as with most crime, especially violent crime, it's going to be mostly men. So, if you cut that 13% about in half, because it's roughly half men and half women, you got like 7.5%. You take out the young children and the very old, uh, because, I I recall something like, it's like if you reach the age of like 40 without having been incarcerated for something, anything, you probably won't, right? So you take the, call it 35 to 40 and above, you take the, you know, 14 to 0 out, and it's actually, and you take the women out, because, I mean, women are committing crimes as well, but, you know, you, you chop that down, and you're you're at, what, you know, 7.5%, maybe, like, 4 maybe 5% of the black male population, for the most part, is responsible for almost half of all violent crimes, and again, all, like, most of their victims are going to be other black people. And this is troubling I mean if, if the if those numbers are accurate uh that's that's horrific and then you go okay what's happening here is this really just is this access to guns is this is this just you know why do you won't give black people jobs is this uh the police are framing black people i mean like what how do, how do you get to that number with that much of a disparity right so that's troubling and quite frankly i don't i don't really see people taking that seriously not in the sense that uh the it, it kind of keeps getting worse and i'm not hearing sensible you know uh measures being proposed by so-called progressives, or liberals, or I guess even conservatives. I I don't really hear anybody trying to offer some kind of solution to this kind of Rubik's Cube of different, you know, confluence of different social values, social, you know, uh, problems and everything. Uh, And I'm not seeing it. And it's just going to keep happening. But of course, I'm white and I don't really care, and you know this is just how this is gonna play out. I'm actually like rooting this on right because I'm a racist white guy so let's uh you know in all seriousness let's move forward here with my jungle fever playlist uh who do we got up next oh <laughs> mr talib Starks now let's get uncomfortable shall we uh mr talib starks is a he's a uh uh, writer of books, and a uh, uh, harsh critic of uh, Black America, if you could say say that. He wrote a book that is uh, aptly titled The Uncivil War, Blacks versus Niggers, Confronting the Subculture Within the African American Community. It's, you know, it's one of those titles that just, it's real muddled, you know, you're like, God, what are you trying to say, you know? It just really is, is really, you know, you're like, ah, what do you what do you want about, man? So here is here is Talib who you can catch his show the Safe Space Podcast uh, the Talib Stark's Safe Space show is over on uh, compoundmedia.com it's a fantastic show and he's very funny while dealing with a very very heavy topic that literally is playing out in terms of life and death right? And He might be harsh, and he might be a bit insensitive, but, uh, you you gotta hear this sometimes, you know, you gotta hear some of this unpleasant stuff if you're gonna, if you're gonna pretend to care about what the trajectory and the future of our country is, right, which, as I said in the Nate Love episode, includes black Americans, you're, you're here with us, we're, we're in this thing together, Okay. I'm, I'm with you. So let's do Talib and uh, asking, uh, well, proposing the top five issues for uh, the top five issues facing black America.
4: What are the five biggest issues facing blacks in America? Here's my list. Problem number five, the victim mentality. Nothing holds someone back more than seeing himself as a victim. Why? because the victim is not responsible for his situation. Everything is someone else's fault, and the victim sees little chance of improving his life. How can he get ahead if someone is holding him back? All this makes the victim unhappy, frustrated, and angry. This is how too many blacks see themselves as victims. So much so that their victim status becomes their primary identity and their ruling ideology. I call it victimology. Unfortunately, Many black churches preach this victimology, many black parents pass it on to their children, inner city schools teach it to their students, and the black media reinforce it. Meanwhile, the NAACP and other black grievance groups fundraise on it. Problem number four, lack of diversity. Blacks repeatedly demand an honest dialogue or debate about race. But how can there ever be an honest dialogue about race between blacks and whites when there is virtually no honest dialogue between blacks and blacks. It's hypocritical. And if a black doesn't think whites are ultimately responsible for black people's problems, they're labeled a sellout, Uncle Tom, or race traitor. As long as this type of groupthink exists, race reverence of the Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson type will continue to be celebrated while independent black thinkers such as professors Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams will be shunned. The honest race dialogue and debate that first has to happen is not between Blacks and whites, but between Blacks and Blacks. We demand diversity from others, but need to practice it ourselves where it really matters, in thought, opinion, and even political affiliation. Problem number three, urban terrorism. As just about everyone knows, but too few talk about publicly, in majority Black cities, violent Black-on-Black crime is rampant. A Department of Justice study from 1980 through 2008 revealed that blacks accounted for almost half of the nation's homicide victims, 47.4%, and more than half of the offenders, 52.4%, all while being 13% of America's population. The Tuskegee Institute conducted a study of all known lynchings of blacks that occurred between 1882 through 1968. During this 86-year span, which is essentially the post-Civil War era up to the Civil Rights era, 3,446 blacks were reportedly lynched. Presently, black-on-black murder eclipses the number of blacks lynched over the course of 80 years, roughly every six months. Unbelievably, the culpability for this disproportionate amount of mayhem actually lies with a menacing 2-3% to 3% minority within the black populace. I call them urban terrorists. And since they are literally spawned from problem number two, the black community protects them. Problem number two, proliferation of baby mamas. The disintegration of the nuclear family has led to an astronomical increase of single mother households. According to the Moynihan Report, in 1965, nearly 25% of black children were born to unwed mothers. The report's author, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, said this was a disaster in the making. He was, of course, vilified by so-called black leaders and their progressive allies, but he was right. Today, the out-of-wedlock birth rate is nearly 75% and even higher in some urban areas. To be clear, baby daddies share this responsibility with baby mamas. Yet, while baby daddies are blamed and rarely shown compassion, baby mamas are rarely blamed and receive both compassion and support. This lopsided dynamic and the previously listed pathologies stem directly from the number one problem facing the black community. Problem number one, unquestioning allegiance to so-called progressive policies. Unwavering loyalty to progressive liberal policies is the primary reason these dire conditions persist. It both makes them possible and perpetuates them. It's no coincidence that progressivism is the common thread that binds predominantly black cities where single-parent homes, failing schools, rampant poverty and crime predominate. Look at cities like Detroit, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. They've been run by progressive Democrats for decades. If their liberal policies were at all effective, these cities should have become models of economic growth and prosperity. Instead, they're models of dysfunction. By fostering and exploiting the victim mentality, discouraging self-examination, subsidizing baby mamas, and making excuses for black thugs, So-called progressive policies don't alleviate the problems that afflict the black community. They aggravate those problems. You may have noticed that racism did not make the list. Why not? It's simple. There will be no solution to the problems afflicting black America until more blacks recognize that the issues plaguing our community are ultimately self-inflicted. Does racism exist? Sure, but there are other problems far more serious. And waiting until there are no more races will mean waiting and making excuses Forever,
0: so that's Tlaib, Uh laying out some statistics for you and being kind of uncompromising. You know, it's just kind of like it's it's weird again being like being a white person and really being kind of like on the outside of what you know, what you could call the black community or whatever. Like a lot of these statistics don't they don't include me. They don't affect me. And yet, when it comes down to, you know, rhetoric, right? It comes down to these, these incidents that have happened and, and Ferguson and these riots and and all this kind of stuff, You it starts to bleed over, right? It becomes part of, uh, you know, political campaigns and everything else. And these narratives make people feel comfortable. Like, on the, on the one hand this narrative that someone like Talib is putting out, or Larry Elder, or Thomas Sowell, they are, they're pushing that, that narrative, and that narrative is kind of one of empowerment, but it's very much contrary to uh, what the, I want to call it the mainstream narrative is, which is the pervasive racism, holding everybody back kind of narrative. And then it does start to affect call it my life, right? When you have things like gun control measures being put in place because uh, they're trying to curb black gang violence in Chicago, and then they try to use that as a model to, to, to enact gun control in other states. Well, now you're talking about constitutional rights for all citizens based on crime happening in, you know, a few major cities. And that starts to affect other other you know, starts to affect everybody right and the idea that we view what we call ghettos as these kind of like in Europe they have a word for it it's called no go zones you 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 don't go into these places because you never know what's gonna happen in them. It's not good to think of vast swaths of our major cities as no go zones at least. Uh, I mean, at least as a white person, right? Like a white person shouldn't be in Compton after sundown, kind of a thing. Like that's that's not good. That's essentially like another country inside of your country, right? Where there's these rules in place that where you're not safe. And guess you know what? You know who's not safe in the ghetto? Other black people. Black people are not safe in the ghetto. So you have these like crazy places where you have drive-by shootings and and people just selling drugs like right out on the street in front of everybody and everything else that's not conducive to uh you know going to school opening a business uh you know acquiring clientele networking you know all of these kind of buzzwords these things are not conducive but anyways uh I digress so let's uh let's move forward here so in especially in in terms of like that that murder rate and gun violence and everything else you the the conversation then shifts from like Talib was saying you know it's a single parent households and all these other factors to guns we just need to get the guns off the street and that's going to change everything and that's going to stop this violence and in some perfect Universe, sure. If you could actually just make the guns disappear, I suppose that'd be true. But uh, we're gonna go to another one of my uh, favorite black spokespeople. This is Mr. Colion Noir, and Koleon is interesting because I I found him years ago, uh, just doing you know YouTube videos, and he's actually a he's a lawyer and a uh, he has a degree in like political science, I think, and he. He just gave legal commentary. It was almost like legal commentary on guns and gun ownership and the Constitution. And he was so good at it (laughs) that he got picked up by uh, NRA TV. And now he has his own show called Noir, uh, where he does something like gun reviews. He talks about gun training, gun safety. He meets people who... um, He he sits down and talks to people who are totally opposed to guns. He talks to, you know, hunters. He talks to uh, competition shooters, people who carry for self-defense reasons. And he's just really, like, he's just, well, you'll see. I'll, I'll let him speak for himself.
5: Telling me I shouldn't own guns because young black men are more likely to die from gun violence is asinine and insulting. You either think it's too stupid to know that a vast majority of those deaths are drug and gang related, or you're a racist who thinks simply being Black and having a gun makes me more prone to violence. This race-baiting rhetoric is a disgusting attempt to take advantage of certain sensitivities. Yes, the inner city's young Black men kill each other at an embarrassingly high rate, but instead of addressing the real issue, anti-gun politicians in the mainstream media would rather exploit the symptoms because there's no money in the cure. The vast majority of African Americans are good law-abiding people, and many of them own guns. Yet the media keeps trying to tell me that the majority of black people are anti-gun. So I guess that poll conducted by the Pew Research Center that found that 54% of black people believe guns protect you from being a crime victim was just the Illuminati. The image of Black gun ownership has been hijacked and vilified by an anti-gun mainstream media, the same way they vilified the Cubans, the Italians, the Irish, and the Mexicans. They project and glorify this D-boy gangbang image as if African Americans are nothing more than that. This creates an insidious form of bigotry and stereotyping that only further divides this country along racial lines. Come to think of it, it's borderline genius. By blaming the gun, the corrupt media can advance their agenda and look like they give a damn about the inner city, then cue up racial opportunists like Al Sharpton, who ignore the systemic degradation of the black family, drugs dumped into the community, an education system you couldn't pay the rest of America to put their kids in, and government programs like welfare that incentivize joblessness, further perpetuating generations of poverty. Instead, he and his dark and lovely perm will continue pointing the finger at the whites, the whites will point the finger back at him, and the moderator will keep asking racially inflammatory questions questions, and the mainstream media sits back and rakes in the dough with their modern-day minstrel show they call journalism. Think about it. The same liberal mainstream media that claims to want to end gun violence in the inner city is the same liberal-minded Hollywood production companies and major record labels that glorify and perpetuate the drug-dealing, gang-banging, black man-with-a-gun stereotype. If we really want to solve these problems, we have to understand that it will involve changing generations, not simply election cycle statistics. It will be uncomfortable. It'll challenge our current idea of meritocracy. We must be willing to get rid of our egos. We'll have to embrace personal accountability. We'll have to sacrifice political correctness for honest debate. If we're not ready to do any of these things, nothing will change other than the bank accounts of the mainstream media elites, and we'll watch this country implode on itself because it was easier to blame the gun instead of putting in hard work to address the real issue.
0: So there you go. Colian Noir, uh, he's he's impassioned and he, he has this kind of fed-up tone and he's making some good points. Like, I, I it's uh, it's challenging to that narrative of it's just the guns that are bad and we wouldn't have these problems if it weren't for guns. Like, well, maybe there's something else going on here that transcends just some, some little, some little feel-good piece of legislation, right, it's just some, oh, we're gonna ban all the assault rifles, well, a lot of the victims are dying from handguns, oh, let's ban handguns, well, that's not, it's not real solid, right, whereas if you approach these things from that, that more, like, economic standpoint, and from that social and cultural standpoint, then it starts to see, seem like there's an actual path there's like an actual solution there but uh i mean you know colianoar lots of stuff from him just check out check out his videos he's he's good stuff so and like he's saying you know if you if you have a uh, you have that continuous uh reliance on the, the same attempts at a solution, right? That if you, you just, you keep doing that. You keep doing the same so-called solutions that have been tried for, I mean, decades now, th- that it, things will then change. And it's like, well, maybe that's not the solution. Maybe there's a different, maybe there's a different solution, you know, and, uh, in that, in that spirit of that, let me, uh, let me skip to another, another guy who, he, uh, this is, uh, Anthony Brian Logan, and he's just a, a dude who, I think mean, he has a day job, but, uh, he has been doing some interesting YouTube stuff, uh, you know, media breakdowns and, uh, controversial topics and everything else and he's another he's another bald black dude something about black dudes being bald and it like you know it it works on black dudes a little more than it does on white dudes um but uh he was he's a conservative right he's a conservative dude and he he speaks very uh he, he speaks very pointedly like he's he's very methodical with his speech and he uh, he was, I think he was a Trump supporter, essentially. If you listen to this video here, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And he proposes this basic idea that, you know, like, maybe it is time to try something else. So here's Anthony Bryan Logan.
6: Look how much African American communities have suffered under Democratic control. To those I say the following. What do you have to lose by trying something new, like Trump? What do you have to lose? I say it again, what do you have to lose? Look, what do you have to lose? You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? And at the end of four years, I guarantee you, that I will get over 95% of the African-American vote, I promise you. Because I will produce, I will produce for the inner cities, and I will produce for the African-Americans. And the Democrats, the Democrats will not produce, and all they've done is taken advantage of your vote. That's all they've done.
7: Okay, so you were able to see that now. What do you think? Do you think that he was being insensitive? Do you think that he was incorrect? Do you think he was correct? Before I get into my actual commentary on it, the questions I asked you are very pertinent because that would really dictate how we go forward. Because it's one thing to be upset at what he said because it was inaccurate, it's something else to be upset at what he said because it was insensitive. Right? I mean, if he's just being insensitive, you can't call him a liar per se unless you have evidence of him lying if it's just you feel that he was insensitive what he said was improper to say at that particular point in time that's fine but that does not mean what he said was any less true or any more false now if what he said was false if it was inaccurate then give me some stats in the comments below me personally i agree with what he said 100 i've been saying a similar thing for many months now about donald trump it's like look Why not roll the dice with Donald Trump? Look at the condition of the black community. I mean, he didn't even really get into all the stats I would have mentioned. He talked about teen unemployment, and it's actually worse than what he was saying. Because if you go to a place like Chicago, I mean, the teen unemployment is right around 88, 90 percent. The black teen unemployment, the black male teen unemployment between 16 and 19 is around 80 to 90 percent. Now, some people that may not necessarily be familiar with economic stats they may say, well, why is that a bad thing? If you're a teenager, you should be in high school. You shouldn't be focused on work. But that's not really true. Because when you're a teenager, that's when you first get into the workforce. That's when you first get your foot on the ladder of success. You got to be able to start somewhere. So when you're 16, 17 years old, you get your first job working in a, a restaurant, you know, busting tables, doing whatever you got to do, McDonald's. Those are jobs you get early on in life. Maybe you get an apprenticeship. That's how you start to develop skills. Right. You started early when you try to be 21, 22, 24, getting your first job and just trying to develop skills. You're already behind people that have been starting since they've been at least 16, maybe even 14. If you got a work permit or even before then, if they had parents, if they had fathers that would teach them the rules of the trade. Back before we got on a Democrat plantation in the black community, right around 1940, before 1940, there was no difference between black teen unemployment and white teen unemployment. I repeat that before 1940, before 1938, really when they put the minimum wage law into effect, which by the way, was a racist law. they had the same law in apartheid South Africa to keep the blacks out of white areas. But I digress. Now, before the minimum wage law was put into effect in the United States, there was no difference between black teen unemployment and white team unemployment and they were both low now some will argue and say that well that's because blacks got paid less than whites that's fine even if that's so i mean you're talking about 1940 during time when there was real racism you had jim crow you still had the, the kkk running around rampant so this is during a time where we were still trying to build as a country and get towards a place where we were away from slavery right but even if you say that we had less money that we got paid less than whites, it doesn't really matter because what would you rather have back then before 1940 where we got paid less for our labor but we had jobs or now where we don't have jobs at all really, right? Now, of course, you know what I'm saying? We don't have jobs at all. I don't mean all, not all, but there is an obvious problem with teen unemployment, with black unemployment in general, right? And you're talking about one out of every four black households is on some kind of government assistance, you know wick ebt tanf etc right we're in bad shape so why not vote for a guy like
0: trump why not roll that dice and so that's you know anthony brian logan i mean just he's a dude who's patient enough to kind of do his research and i just i recommend some of his videos sometimes he uh he he does videos where he's he's not speaking as like black dude about stuff he's just nerding out about video games or movies or comic books or whatever and you know that's good to see too but uh you know he makes a, he makes a good point where it's like Trump said you know like why not try something different you know these different these these policies that have been in place the all the welfare and all of the all of the you know the racism narratives and everything else the that victimology like talib was talking about what is it getting What, what are the results of all this stuff and it's uh it's it's tricky i mean it's again like a lot of this stuff doesn't affect me directly anyway you know not not directly but i try to put myself in their shoes like what would i do if i was in that same kind of situation right and it's, uh, I don't know. It's like, it see, it seems very dire and it seems like something has to be done, but no one knows what to do. If that makes sense. It's like no one's certain about what they need to do. So, you know, this, and this isn't just supposed to be, this isn't supposed to just be the, uh, conservative the conservative negro uh podcast but uh we're gonna hit one more and i realized i hadn't had a woman on the list yet you know because i'm sexist and so i wanted to wanted to hit you up with uh sonny johnson and sonny johnson is an interesting uh an interesting figure i mean she just she is black she owns being black She sometimes takes up, you know, black issues while at the same time just has has a a positive kind of pro-American attitude. And she talks really fast. So try and keep up. All right. A
8: trip through Liberalville. Come with me on a trip through Liberalville. call it what you may. The ghetto, the hood, the block, the trap is nothing more than the outcome of liberal policy. If the Negro in the ghetto must eternally be fed by the hand that pushes him into the ghetto, he'll never have the strength to get out of the ghetto. That's Carter Woodson, and it's the premise for this article. Now, when most people think about Liberalville, called by one of the aforementioned nicknames, they think drugs, crime, trash, and desperation, low-grade public housing, limited job opportunities, and no chance at a quality education. They just forget to look at the equation. People plus liberal politics equals total degeneration. You need a better tour guide. What's really there, the liberals hide. People of all faiths, colors, and creed, all with a basic need to belong. See, it's the same song from eight tracks to wax CD to iPod. Living in Liverpoolville is hard. Or is it? Let me tell you what I see when you remove the democratic elite. I see the poet. Feelings into verbs, action into words. A revolution has occurred in modern day storytelling. His wit is hard to defeat, his desire makes it hard to compete, but his skill stays on mixtapes and side streets because we find value in the industry. I see the artist, a vision in his head, bigger than any paper or pad, graffiti formed on walls, and it's sad. We find no value in the art that he shares, so it stays in Liberalville halls instead of on museum walls His property values continue to fall. I see the pastor broken and remade, no longer weighed down by past mistakes, saved and enraged, those around him continue to fade from God's glory to government shade in an attempt to be made into what our savior already promised. I see the banker. He never stepped foot out of Liberalville still. The boy can convert euros to yen and back to dollars again, accounting for inflation and taxation, trapped in a situation where he doesn't understand the value of his instant computations. I see the politician. On a mission to stand in opposition to anyone who would change the rules halfway through the game. He can rev up the folks, folks and gather the vote, but it's a shame. He has no power or desire until shots are fired and the people need someone to blame. I see the lawyer. Not court, but street appointed masters of defense. Not bar, but street associates of common sense. In a pinch, he can play name that crime. He can list the charges, guess the verdict, and predict prison time. Dirty hands and deeds protected by a brilliant mind. I see the social worker, two kids of her own, two of her brothers, never doing for self, always for others. I shudder to feel such a backbreaking weight. Low funds, short supply, and empty plates, and a support system that says, wait, fall a little further, then we'll save the day. I see the psychiatrist. Oh, she may be whacked out, she may seem, but for free she'll break down your dreams whether you asked her to or not. She spots those who pass with a swift kick in the ass and says, hold up, not so fast. Your mom did it and so did I. The answer to your problem is not getting high, it's doing more than just getting by. I see a promise. I see a possibility. A promise and a possibility with a capital P and potentially the only salvation for our community.
0: So that's Sonny Johnson, uh, <laughs> political commentary, uh, commentator, and beat poet, I suppose. And, you know, she's, you know, she's a cute black girl, and she does her thing, and I think she she has a column somewhere, I think she writes. But, um, yeah, you know, you again, she's expressing something there that I'm not, Totally clued in on. Like I like to think I know a thing or two about uh, you know black culture and whatnot. Um, th- again, that scathing thing that that Democrat plantation idea that uh, the the liberal enslavement kind of thing is it's very it's sort of pervasive. So it's, it's more it's more pervasive than I thought. It's more common than I thought. There's a there's a dissatisfaction rather with liberal policies with Democrats and with in some cases white liberals like (laughs) some of these some of these black commentators have a, a a disdain for what they think of as white liberals who are thinking that they're helping but they're continuing to buy into some like racist narratives that they've built up in their own minds, right? And they're not actually engaging with black people in a in a very realistic way. And it's it's uh, interesting to see that uh, it's not as it's not as one sided as you'd like to see. Again, that like kind of that that monolithic black person thing that's not real. That's a weird kind of social it's a weird construct that isn't their real life right and it denies individual people agency and and individuality so that sucks but uh it's again it's not all about just black people and black issues uh here's uh here's sunny talking about uh why we should be opposed to islam and if you listen to any other kyle style podcast i've been pretty straightforward about this and i think i'm correct so let's let the, the black lady talk what are we doing with this sonny okay about... w- hadn't france been through enough i
8: don't know i just heard the name james Taylor and said who <laughs> And then, then they started playing a song, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's from Woody and, uh, and Buzz Lightyear. That's a Toy Story. That's a Toy Story song, right? Like, yeah. that's the only reason I knew anything about the song. But, I mean, where we are right now, we need a solution. We don't need Carrie to go over and sing uh, a song. So here's the solution. In religion, there's two sides, okay? You have your spirituality and you have your law, okay? Mm-hmm. Your spirituality is the individual thing. The law is the... Community, big ball thing okay Mm -hmm. leave the spiritual spiritual, spirituality alone and let's talk about the law so instead of talking about radical islam let's talk about sharia Mm -hmm. because that is what governs the law the individuality of the religion is not the problem Mm -hmm. it is the law that makes you go out and behead and kill and stone and do all the barbaric things that they do so if you don't want us talking about islamic terrorism fine we should just, all of us, make a concerted effort to explain Sharia law to every single American that does not understand that they, they want to kill you. Mm-hmm. If killing you is not good enough, then they're going to take away your alcohol, they're going to take away ah, your short skirts, they're going to take away your high heels, they're mm-hmm. going to take away your clubs, they're going to take away your rap music.
6: So, uh, I don't understand. Also, Sunny, I'd like to say that uh, they can have my high heels when they pry them off my cold dead feet. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's,
8: uh, but if you tell people that, you know, and you're from Americans... Don't try to say that that, okay the religion is bad. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Tell them what it personally is going to cost them. Yeah. And then you have these this generation of self-absorbed people. When you tell them what it is personally going to cost them, if your life is not enough, tell them their vices that they will have to give up live under sharia and then you start to get a different response because they're not going to give up their vices and then maybe you can actually get an american population that wants to fight
6: terrorism if i could get back to my jokes for a minute <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's
0: sunny johnson uh her show she has a podcast uh did she say that and, and that's what it's called it's called did she say that and they they go over all this all this stuff you know they go over specifically like black culture in America they go over conservatism liberalism and everything it's a little bit uh, it's it's slanted I think that they're at least uh, uh, sponsored or promoted by Breitbart so they're gonna have a right wing thing but her her tenacity and her points are just like right on they're like they're like right on and she doesn't back down and that's it's kind of refreshing to see that and you know it's it's uh man it's one of these things where you're like again you're starting to sort of see this you're starting to see this uh these narratives breaking down and that's that's something that I've, I've said before um about this whole last year or, so, or two, um, all during the Trump uh, presidential race and everything else, you have these media stories break. And then it turns out to be maybe even the opposite of what the media narrative is. And then you start to think about that in a long-term sense, that, uh, that maybe a lot of these narratives that we think are true aren't necessarily true or not accurate for specific reasons. Um, but that's Sonny Johnson, let's turn a corner here, you got Sonny, you got Thomas Soule, you got Tlaib Starks, uh, you know, Koleon, you got, uh, some more of these, like, kind of conservative types, we're just gonna go, we're just gonna go with, uh, off the road, off the, off the rails a little bit here, turn, turn the corner, as I said, you've got this, this, uh, young guy, uh, some black guy, <laughs> That's actually his uh, YouTube uh, handle. Some black guy, and he is. Uh, it's funny. He he reminds me of. He reminds me of a the world. Uh, black friend of mine who was like a, a black rocker. He was like a a black dude who was into rock, and he he does similar to Anthony Brian Logan he does these uh, media takedowns and these you know critiques and everything else and sometimes he's just a dude he's just he can sometimes he can just be a dude and that's one of the key things we try to get past which is the exact opposite of what this podcast episode is where i'm just making it all black people but uh he he's able to just add commentary to things and this is a story that uh, it came out a while ago, and I watched the original video and I was just horrified at like how like just it's like it it it, it poses as being informed. These college students are talking about stuff, but it's a it's horribly and aggressively ill informed. And this is uh something that happened in South Africa. It was a South African university where uh, students were talking about decolonization and decolonizing, like, like these concepts, I swear, that that science is purely, essentially, a mechanism of global white supremacy, right? It's just white dominance over African people and that science isn't it doesn't work for them. It, it it that in some sense it only works like for white people, I guess. So <clears throat> I'll just I'll just let some black guy basically uh mirror my own outrage about this and you will uh you'll see what I'm talking about here. All right. Let's dive in.
9: Hey, what's going on everyone? So <laughs> I wasn't I don't know. I, this was so ridiculous to me that I kind of didn't even want to respond to it, but it really just kind of started clawing at the back of my head. And I'm like, all right, all right, let's do this, because there is a university in South Africa, and there's a little safe space, a little discussion going on about science. And uh, basically, the beef is that a lot of science that we know uh, today was founded by Western uh, colonizations or Western civilizations You know, they discovered a lot of the science that we use and that's illegitimate. It needs to be deconstructed because that science may not work for like, say, this uh, for people like in Africa. Like this lady though, so let, let's 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 hear what she has to say.
10: Thinking about this coming here, because I thought that it was going to be one of the, the, the coming questions, how do we even start to decolonize science, because science is true because it is science, and you know, what can you do? And my, my response to that was, if I personally were committed to enforcing decolonization, science as a whole is a product of Western modernity and the whole thing should be scratched off. Especially in Africa. So if you want, if you can
9: want- yeah, it, yeah, it's a very fucking laughable thing to say. So <laughs> I totally understand why all these motherfuckers are laughing.
10: Practical solutions to how to decolonize science would we'll have to restart science from, I don't know, an African perspective, from our perspective of how we've experienced science. For instance, um, I had a question Sh- for all the science people: is uh, there's uh, a place uh, in Kezer, in yeah. and they believe that. Through uh, the magic, the black magic—you call it black magic—they call it helps Others that you are able to send a lightning to strike someone. Uh. So, can you explain that scientifically? Because it is something true. that happens. It's if it's <laughs> 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 the
9: guy already said it. It's not true. I mean, it <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Are you seriously going to give any credence to that? I mean, so to, according to them, like, so people like Raiden and fucking Thor are completely real. And people, maybe even like Darth Cities, because, you know, that fucking lightning, that fucking shit that you can do when you're on the dark side. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something to that, too, you know? I don't think so. How have things gotten this crazy? I don't understand. And the video gets a little bit crazier just listen to what the moderator or whatever has to say about this fucking safe space. I need
11: to address you directly. When we started this, we agreed on certain house rules. (laughs) And by you doing that, you're disrespecting the sacredness of this space. And so I'd like to ask you to first please apologize to the panel directly. And then number two, understand the rules that we went by in this space. Because it's going to be very, problematic. This, when we started, this is not an antagonizing space.
12: No thieves can be hurt, straight up.
11: And so what you're trying to do is collapse the space mm-hmm. and make it antagonizing, which we will not allow. This is a progressive space for people to say their opinions. And we have noted how those opinions are going to be laid out. So I would like you to first apologize and then go on and agree to abide in by the rules of the space. Otherwise, I'd, I would, if you're not ready to do that, I'd please ask you to remove yourself from the space. But those are the rules of engagement of the space. Okay, I'm very sorry to... Okay, and you agree to abide by the rules of the space. Thank you,
9: yes. on. So that little speech about the safe space and the rules and not being antagonistic, it, it lies the biggest problem. I mean, this is a university, you know, a place that you're supposed to grow and be stimulated. And it's just like, everybody just share your opinions. And don't worry, everybody's opinion is just as valuable and shit like that. I'm like, well, no, it's not. You know, what you can do is you can express your opinion and then people are going to express dissent. And the thing is, a lot of people are just expressing dissent. That guy wanted to express dissent because of how fucking ludicrous the idea of that even being, you know, lightning, being like shooting, shooting a curse on somebody, being legitimate whatsoever, I mean... That should be, from a very young age, I would say maybe the past like seven, you know, six, seven, something like that, you should be like, oh yeah, shit like that is completely fucking fake.
10: So I'll finish. See, that very response is the reason why I am not in the science faculty.
9: Yeah, no shit you're not on the science faculty.
10: <laughs> I did science throughout my high school years, and there was a lot of things that I just, um, yeah, but it's fine. But Western modernity is the direct antagonistic factor to decolonization because Western knowledge is totalizing. It is saying that it was Newton and only Newton who knew or saw an apple falling and then out of nowhere decided that gravity existed and created an equation and that is it. For the, whether people knew Newton or not or whether whatever happens in Western Africa, Northern Africa, The thing is, the only
9: way to explain gravity is through Newton who sat under a tree and saw an apple fall. I mean, why is that even a fucking problem? I mean, uh, Newton and what he did, I mean, those experiments were able to be shared throughout the world. Doesn't matter the fucking color of the person, it doesn't matter who did it, it's the fact that somebody did it and people come up with equations and then they're shareable and they make fucking sense that's all that fucking matters who cares about the guy's fucking skin or where he's from why are you focusing on that why does that matter that is not what science is about science is universal it fucking extends all the way to the fucking universe actually so it doesn't even matter we're such a small blip on it and we're trying to understand things and who cares who fucking comes up with it it doesn't matter why does that fucking matter to you it holy fuck (laughs) Why am I, why do I have to even say that shit?
10: So Western modernity is the problem that decolonization directly deals with to say that we are going to decolonize by having Knowledge that is produced by us, that speaks to us, and that is able to accommodate knowledge from our perspective. So if you're saying that you disagree with her approach, it means that you are vested in the Western and Eurocentric way of understanding, which means you yourself still need to go back internally, decolonize your mind, come back and say, how can I relook at what I've been studying all these years? Because Western knowledge is very pathetic, to say the least. I, from a decolonized perspective, believe we can do more as new knowledge producers, as people who are given the ability to reason or whatever uh, is that people say we do when we think or rationalize. So decolonizing the science would mean doing away with it entirely and starting all over again to deal with how we respond to the environment and how we understand it. Thank you.
9: Okay so since you come from a decolonized perspective then do me a favor That little tablet that you were playing on, I need you to throw that in the fucking trash all those clothes you're wearing right now, I need you to strip down, just take them off, you know, all that stuff, you know, you probably have a watch or some shit like that. I need you to get rid of all of that shit. I need you to just be completely bare and get rid of all of that Western science you're fucking using because all of those things are products of Western science. You know, it's, it's a product of just science in general. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. But the thing is, if you really want to be genuine with what you're saying, get rid of your shit, go build a fucking hut or whatever. Start from the beginning and start to figure shit out for Yourselves. Otherwise, you're just talking shit and being a fucking retard. At least with shit like this coming out, maybe a lot of you people can see just how far social justice warrior nonsense can go. Pretty fucking far because I know most of you watching this are completely down with science. You love your laptop and your fucking phone. You love your consoles. You love your clothes. You love. Just being able to control your weather with AC and all this cool shit. I know you like this stuff, you know, so I know that you think this is fucking unreasonable. And this is the very apex of why I do shit and why I make videos. Because seriously, fuck these people.
0: So there you have it. Uh, Some black guy. (laughs) Uh, Representing uh, at least... The Western value of scientific inquiry, which is, it's great to see people be almost militant about the scientific method and how we derive knowledge and create, thing, you know, we create machines and technology and everything else, and to see somebody who gets it just, Taking that 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 clip that I I remember seeing the South African university clip and just like I I couldn't even I couldn't even process how stupid and kind of like how uh how ill informed it was and then you have somebody like some black guy kind of <laughs> break it down and through the exasperation and the, uh, the being flabbergasted just articulate what's wrong with it now that's uh that's refreshing to see and again there was there was a racial aspect to the video that the south african that black south african students are saying that you know uh, it's like science is just uh global white supremacy with numbers well (sighs) Maybe, but it also leads to engineering, which leads to cars and skyscrapers and elevators and satellites which and, and computers, which allows you to have a video that goes on YouTube and a, a phone that you text people with, like, it, it's hard to separate the, the it, it, you're trying to separate some kind of antagonistic racial uh, motivation, like white people were trying to colonize the whole world and take everything over. Meanwhile, there's Newton sitting in a laboratory, you know, like you know, doing his alchemy because he was kind of a nutcase. Um, but then doing algorithms and mathematics and and creating calculus. You know, it, the one doesn't have anything to do with the other, and it just man like this is this is where we are right this this is where we are where you know it's like the gun thing or the politics thing or whatever it's like there's this racial wedge that's just been driven so deep that you can't comment on things you can't talk about things you can't talk about things in like an honest way uh without it being becoming some kind of intensely racial conversation when it's just two plus two equals four that's not racism that's not that's not global white supremacy that's logic that's mathematics that just is it, it's manifest right and anybody in anywhere in the world in any time period could have come up with that simple system uh it happens that it uses arabic numerals ironically enough and was propagated, the Western, you know, education system and everything else, and that Europeans took it to a, such a high level that they were making internal combustion engines instead of Africans, for whatever reason, okay? So, anyways, but I digress. So, turning the corner here again, we, well, I guess we're on the same street now, because we turn the corner with some black guy. Uh, and, and again, this is not obscure stuff, you probably haven't, you might not have heard of some of these people, but these are, you know, some of these clips and things are from YouTube videos that have maybe millions or hundreds of thousands of, of hits, uh, views, and they have large followings, some of these people, and you you might not see them on, you know, as talking heads on CNN or MSNBC or whatever, but they have their own, they have their own platforms as Kyle style podcast does, and they speak whatever their their truth is, right? And in some cases, I think they're right. I think they're really on to something. So, moving forward, we have uh, we have a, another another young black dude, right? Like some black guy. He's pretty young, and again, it's refreshing to see young people getting animated, getting excited about uh, you know these kind of things, and. Having nuance, that's the thing. Like, not just being angry, but having, you know, a a point of view. So, we'll go to that guy T. And that guy T is, he's, uh, I think he's like an anarcho-capitalist or some kind of libertarian. I'm not quite sure what he is, uh, what his uh, ideology could be framed as. But he, of course, has had to uh, confront being uh being a young black dude in america and you know media stuff and you know black lives matter and all that stuff and he he put together this video about the uh the chicago kidnapping if you remember a while back uh, a couple couple of young black kids uh kidnapped this guy who i guess voted trump like they somehow knew this and they live streamed his torture and they were cutting his clothes off and cutting his head open and making him drink toilet water and beating on him and it was all very racially motivated on the part of, you know, these young black kids. And the the again, like those media narratives just kind of spalled out in all these different directions and no one knew how to, you know, kind of put it in context. So, instead of just continuing to white-splain, I'll let, I'll let that guy T kind of, kind of speak his piece. And it's interesting because he, he does get personal in this one where he's, he's being completely self-aware about being black in America and seeing these narratives go on, which I find interesting. So here we go. That guy T. So by now you've probably already heard the
13: story of Brittany Herring and the Chicago kidnapping. Um, What's being deemed right now um, the BLM kidnapping Uh, For those of you who haven't here's a brief recap on Wednesday, January 4th, Brittany Herring a black 18 year old in Chicago Live streamed the kidnapping beating and mild torture of a white special needs man Um, Herring published the attack to her Facebook profile after which the four black teens two men and two women including Herring were arrested by Chicago police the victim is currently recovering in the hospital, and here's a brief clip of the assault. Oh, touch that blood, bro. Your ass, bro. That's your blood, bro. Is now, take out. Watch out, bro, Cut this shit. Cut it off. I- ass, nigga. <laughs> cut his motherfucking hair off.
14: Shit, boy. Damn, you cut this shit. I put a whole patch out of that shit,
13: boy. Why
11: Damn. you do that?
13: <laughs> brother-
14: oh,
11: my god. I'm saying this shit is hilarious. Let me see. Ooh,
12: that
14: bitch gone. Fuck Donald Trump, nigga. Fuck
3: white people, boy.
14: Fuck
11: Fuck Donald, bitch. Fuck it.
13: So I think it's pretty fair to say that this was a racially motivated attack. Um, Anyone denying that at this point are either the attacker's lawyers or, you know, cowardly sick fucks who, you know, aren't willing to honestly condemn the actions of these racist teens um, or adults seeing as they're 18 years old. This comes after another video was released a few months ago showing a gang of blacks in Chicago beating a white man um, and trying to steal his car while shouting anti-Trump, anti-white chants
11: damn You Don't vote Trump! Don't vote Trump! Don't vote Trump! This
13: coming after emerging video of blacks violently targeting whites during the Milwaukee riots.
11: Man, no white person come down, Charlie.
13: Right he white! Finished it,
8: bitch! Who they just beat up from? <laughs> now see this ain't nothing to play I think they just beat some white bitch ass for no reason. They bust on window and everything.
13: This after a black mass shooter went on a killing spree um targeting police officers, uh, specifically white police officers in Dallas, Texas. The suspect said he was upset about Black Lives Matter.
5: He said he was upset about the recent police shootings. The suspect
13: said he was upset at white people. The suspect stated he wanted to kill white people, especially white officers now you guys already know that i'm disgusted by this and you've probably already heard a lot of other people give their take on the situation as well everyone's pointing fingers at the election the media the school system which granted all play a role in fostering these anti-white sentiments but overall i think the root cause is much deeper and hits much closer to home and the reason i say this is because i almost adopted this mentality myself so a little personal background Growing up, for me, um, I had very little to any association with whites. I never interacted with them, I never had any white friends, I never had any white classmates, really. Um, I think I had maybe one or two white teachers, one in kindergarten and one in 10th grade. And because of this, I pretty much had no idea of what white people were actually like. Um, outside of, you know, TV shows or the occasional run-in with a white store clerk or something. But even though I didn't have any strong personal experience or interaction with whites, um, I still didn't view them in a very positive light. Now I'm talking ages 9 to 16 years old. And this wasn't because I had really any overt prejudice against whites, um... It was mainly because as a child, I was always taught that whites wanted me to fail. Whether it be from education to employment to simply staying out of jail, I was constantly bombarded um, by many of my family members with what amounts to pretty much anti-white beer mongering telling me things like get good grades because the white man already don't want you to go to college don't do anything illegal because the white man already looking for reasons to lock up black men and many other things along those lines uh coupled with assumptions of white privilege Things like white people don't have to work as hard to get into a good school, um, they don't have to work as hard to get a good job, they don't have to obey the law as strictly because the police will always show them lenience. This led me to develop a negative perception of white people. Um, not to the point of you know, not liking them, but assuming that we were constantly in um, you know, conflicting competition. It became sort of an us versus them mentality, where I always would assume the worst intentions on the part of whites in relation to my success, Um, whether that be them looking for a reason not to hire me or looking for a reason to arrest me or whatever. Or if not that, I would assume their success to be the result of the most undeserving reasons, um, such as white privilege or family wealth. Needless to say, this fostered an unhealthy view towards white people. And I wish I could say this was an uncommon experience, but I know way too many people who have been indoctrinated by the same narrative. The worst part is that this narrative isn't fact-based, um, in fact, if you ask most people perpetrating it, um, it's not even based on their own personal experiences. If anything, it's based largely on superstition. It's a fear of what people think, you know, and it's just passed down repeatedly to the point of people assuming it is fact. So how does this all tie into the Chicago torture livestream? Well, I think this superstition contributes to these types of attacks. When you have an assumption of whites not being deserving of their success, actively working to stifle your success plus you throw in black lives matter pan africanism media pushing selective outrage stories of white on black brutality constant political fear mongering about trump being racist his supporters being racist the whole of america being racist pop culture infatuation with shaming and demonizing whites academic institutions teaching bullshit like power plus prejudice theory reinforcing already held biases and divisions the manipulative obsession of historic racism being exploited to fuel present emotional hostility?
11: The years two years I'm saying. The I'm
13: Black people in America have become the most psychologically vulnerable and easily exploitable demographic for progressive agitators. Now I'm not saying that things like racism, police brutality, discrimination, etc. don't exist. Of course they do, but that's so obvious I'm not even going to spend time explaining that simple fucking fact as a preemptive counter just because some idiot will try to frame this video as me cooning or trying to impress the white man. If you think that, fuck you, this video isn't for you anyway. You're already in the same camp as Britney and these other societal hazards. You've lost all rational nuance in your perspective. If you're the type of person who tries to justify acts like this um, by pointing to historic events that happened hundreds of years ago, then you're already too far gone to reason with. All we can really hope for people like you at this point is that your stupidity be contained and that if you just so happen to try and execute terroristic acts against innocent people, that you hopefully be shot dead on the fucking spot. But for those who don't think like this, for those who haven't become completely trained pawns for leftists, don't fall victim to their will. These collectivist race hustlers out here, they want you to hate each other. They want racial violence. They want you to self-segregate. Luckily, I was able to escape this mental entrapment early on and um, you know, place priority value on individualism, and it led me to develop an awesome outlook on life. One of my favorite teachers in school was my British 10th grade economics teacher, Mr. Durbin. I think he was maybe like the only white teacher in my entire school, and he was fucking incredible, you know, and this is coming from somebody who hated going to school. Unfortunately, I only had him for one semester, um, and then he transferred schools and that almost motivated me to drop out completely. Um, But that's another story. No longer do I wander through life with a subconscious envy or anger towards white people, or anyone for that matter. Over the course of this past year alone, I've met so many amazing people who are white, people who I know I could count on to go out of their way to help me succeed in life, both personally and professionally. I've begun to try and understand police and law enforcement better, Granted, there's still a huge array of shit that I don't really fuck with when it comes to 12. But I'm trying to communicate more and assume less. I'm trying to listen more than I criticize. And it's such a better state of mind. I can't tell you what to do. And I'm not trying to say that all blacks suffer from this or that there's no legitimate reasons for some black people to hold rancorous attitudes toward whites. All I'm really suggesting is that You try and maintain love and
0: So there you got it. That guy T. You know, try to maintain love, right? Just try to just keep a baseline of compassion and go about your day, right? I mean, it's it seems simple enough, but it's, it's tricky. And <clears throat> it's interesting to hear, you know, call it from the horse's mouth, right? From the young black kid who has sorted out, right? A lot of these kind of little emotional triggers and everything. You you've got these ne- these media narratives. This uh, you know, Darren Darren Wilson killing Michael Brown in Ferguson, and it was it, it was painted as that this racist cop was just gunning trying to gun down a young black kid, and then you go okay let, let's take ourself out of it. Let's you know adopt a little stoicism here and look at what we actually know, and then it doesn't it doesn't doesn't fall in the same way, and. Again, like like with some black guy, it's like, it's it's gives me a little bit of hope that there there are people who just kind of are pulling themselves out of this thing. You have real racism. You have real uh, systemic you know, violence against black people. You have the poverty. You have all these things. You have real racism. You know, according to Larry Elder, that there isn't, but you know, let's say there is, and that it's holding black people back. And then you have these hyper-emotional, you know, graphic narratives of these, you know, dominating white police and all this kind of stuff. And then you walk around with that, right, in your day-to-day life. And this is similar to, it's like the, the flip side of the white woman clutching clutching her purse when the black guy walks by. And then the black guy is offended that the white woman clutched her purse like, I'm not a purse snatcher, right? You know, you know these, these black people are walking around with this uh, the police are trying to kill me concept. And then they're going to respond negatively to a police presence, whether it's warranted or not. The same way white girl clutches her purse, warranted or not so these biases and these prejudices are just getting built up they're getting they're getting hurt by a lot of this like media coverage and and the vitriol and everything not helped by it if that makes any sense so to repeat what that guy t just said so i continue to white explain um this is this is again uh there's a personal aspect to like his story there and there's this broader aspect of, whoa, it almost feels like a conspiracy theory. It's like a social conspiracy theory that there's this kind of social engineering going on and people are trying to, uh, (laughs) let's just generally say, people are trying to make you think about things a certain way. Society, the media, maybe even your own family are kind of trying to frame things a certain way and make you think a certain way. And the result might be completely negative because it's wrong, right? These things are actually not accurate. And then we all continue to churn out more hashtags, Black Lives Matter and all this kind of stuff based on possibly incorrect information, right? (laughs) Now, I know, I know, you're like, Kyle, this is going pretty deep. Oh, we're not done yet. We're going to go uh, let's go to <laughs> something even more inflammatory. Uh I think I mentioned Tommy Sotomayor on the uh in the uh trenches of the culture war episode. And this is a dude who just doesn't give a fuck anymore. He he he's obviously he's a black dude who has been continuously now for I don't know how many years he's been doing his thing he's got a couple different YouTube channels that he does different stuff on and Tommy is man he's a tough cookie Uh, he is outspokenly incredibly critical of black culture black women a lot of times and he has his critics but he's even critical of his critics (laughs) can you be crit crit can you be critical of a critic and this video is him uh, <laughs> it's titled <clears throat> dear black people stop blaming whites for slavery when you chose to be slaves now this is about as unapologetic as i think you can get and as uh as uh, it's just, <laughs> he says things that on a certain level are true, you know it's true, uh, but I understand why it might not be received in the best light, let's let's put it that way. So, Tommy Sotomayor.
14: What's going on, everyone? It's your boy, Tommy Sotomayor. Check it out. I was in a conversation with my man, Tommy, you'll probably come around here and jump in in a minute, but... I was in a conversation with him about something, and I'm going to say something that is controversial because, to give credit, we saw it somewhere else and heard about the thought of it, and it actually makes sense. And as you've probably been looking at the title, you know that the thing is saying, slavery, yep, black folks, slavery was an option. You chose slavery. It was a choice. You had an option. Let me explain something to you. How many of you guys have heard the little saying? You know what the saying is, Tommy. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. Come, come around here. I actually heard Tommy say it, and it's very poignant. You said that guys always make this one analogy towards each other.
12: And what happens? What's that analogy? Oh, uh, here's the an analogy. There's always a, a joke, man. A guy got a gun to your head, and he, he give you a choice, either you suck his dick or you take a bullet. That's always been the question that always been asked. And what most people say? Most people say, nah, I ain't gonna do that, bro. I ain't gonna do that, bro. So...
14: Dun, dun, dun. I had to steal my daughter's thing.
12: <laughs> <laughs>
14: but no, you yeah. think about it. If you were given the option to either get shot in the head or suck my dick, everybody say, nigga, you got to have to shoot me. Mm-hmm. Now, if that was your thought about that, Then why would you not say this when it came to raping your wife, raping you, raping your kids, and spending the rest of your life in bondage, in slavery? Come on now. Mm -hmm. But see, we don't have black folks that would be willing to talk about that simple thing that, and I'm going to hurt your feelings, Uh, because he's Nigerian, but I'm going to say it. It's (laughs) Africa's fault and weak-ass (laughs) Africans. If, Af- if, if we had stronger Africans, we wouldn't have no Africans Americans. It would just be, it, it literally, if they had just said, we ain't going out like that.
12: But that's nah, not what they nah, said. Well, maybe, here's the thing, but it wasn't all Africans that came here, it was only some. Some some survived and some did. So some must have saying I'd rather die. Right. Some, the, the ones that didn't, they weren't unified, they <laughs> though. Yeah. So yeah. here's what you're yeah. probably
14: saying yeah. the weaker of the Africans are probably us of African Americans.
12: Like, it's a possibility, because you had you had to have fought and lost some way of, some or form, whether you quit or you just lost, and some did, because at the end of the day, there's still some Africans there, because that was the whole point, they would have brought as many as possible to have been, at this point, it would be mostly white over there and probably just all the Africans over here.
14: Now, I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, well, wait a minute, you can't say that because Jews and the Holocaust, and they didn't choose to be in the Holocaust. Yeah, they did. The Jews did the same thing. They literally could have walked out of that Mm -hmm. situation and said, we don't want to do it. But that
12: ain't what they said. And who else said it? Americans. Americans. What 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 was the saying? What's the saying? Liberty or death. Give me liberty or give me death. That's over taxes. Freedom or death. This this is over taxes. taxes. Not over just straight up bondage. violence, and rape and all that other crazy crap. This is just over taxes. White folks went to war against the
14: greatest naval army in the world the british army was the greatest mm-hmm. on the planet that
3: the awesome. world
14: had ever seen and they said we would rather fight you to the death before we become enslaved with you hell the civil war was they call it brother against brother
11: mm-hmm.
14: over ideals mm-hmm. they were literally fighting family members so i gotta ask you black folks why you running around talking about the bondage, and this is why I've made several videos where if black men and black women and whatever, God, that wind is blowing. But if y'all were really serious about your liberty, the biggest thing that you would do would be willing to die for it. Somebody said something when I met him out in the street. He said, the craziest thing about you is you believe the shit you're saying. Shouldn't I believe it? Why would I come out in front of this camera and say stuff and be like, I don't believe that. Why would I go in front of the world, put my face out there, put my reputation on the line for something I don't believe in? I believe in it enough to where I walk these streets by myself and meet up with anybody because one is just an opinion and and it's a theory. I speak on theories. It's a logical standpoint and logically right now, if you guys don't believe in this, just go back and think about it. It's something as simple as you said, if a guy put a gun up to your head or whatever, you choose the gun. So why do you think black folks chose slavery when they didn't have to? They could have literally said you kill me. They could have literally not been in bondage but they chose bondage bondage was something they chose and yet
12: you're getting mad about the the rebel flag that's a, that's a big argument the rebel flag I And mean, that's actually what I, I even bring it to him because this is me actually bring this topic to him because i saw the video of the woman who flags the rebel flag and everyone got mad at the the quoted the whole quote she said where slavery was a choice and everyone got offended by that i don't know why they got offended by that that statement because it's a true one. Because we face with harsh choices every day. If you live in any hood, you know what I'm saying, most likely your parents suck. You know what I'm saying, your neighborhood sucks. You have pretty much no, like, no shot at life because most likely you you, know what I'm saying? you have to worry about dealing with, with gang violence and, and drug violence. I'm mean, sorry, and drugs. Right, that's and a also, choice. Like,
14: you, can choose, you can choose to sell dope or you can choose to get a regular job. It's a choice. You can't say, well, I had no other options. Yes, you did. You always have options. You just might not like the type of options you
12: had. It's just not great options. Right. Not, not, to, say, not, to, say, not to say that's an SEO on its own, but you, not, the, whole, the whole premise behind slavery is, a, is the feeling and the sensation of you do not have a choice. That's when you're a slave.
0: So there's a controversial uh, kind of <laughs> stance to take, and... You know, Tommy Sotomayor has pointed out that he can say a lot of the stuff that he says just because he's he's a black man, so white people can't say some of these things. And it's not just about being, like, it's not just about free speech or anything else. It's not about being able to just throw out racial slurs. It's going against the social convention, The these narratives. Again, what makes you feel uncomfortable, right? I I partially hope that some of my language, some of these topics, some of these people that I'm highlighting here have made you feel uncomfortable, like I want you to feel uncomfortable, because that means that it's new territory to you, okay? And you have to get past the uncomfortableness, the discomfort, and engage with it, right? Like, does Tommy Sotomayor have a point? If Africans had simply been like unified and fought to the death, where would the slavers have gone? They would have gone for some uh, some other people or or just been like, whoa, this slavery thing doesn't work very well. People don't just bow down. Right? I mean it's it's a uh, it's kind of a point. And the I actually learned I've learned I've learned a lot from People like Tommy Sotomayor, in terms of w- black culture in America, and man, I'm running the clock out on this one. We're going we're going long on this one. Uh, it, that people, b- black people are are, are kind of terrible to each other. Like that's just kind of my my understanding. You know that that black on black murder rate and and some of the stuff I see online, just the the vitriol and the hate and everything else, it's like, if you go contrary to what a certain kind of level of, a certain number of black people are, are for, if you go against that, you're an Uncle Tom, an Aunt Jemima, a coon, a sellout, uh, you're trying to be white, um people have accused, you know, people like Anthony Bryan Logan, you you heard the way he speaks, right? He speaks kind of like a college professor, right? Uh, People accuse him of trying to be white. And if you take a position politically, socially, whatever, that is contrary to, it seems contrary to the the victim narrative, that victim mentality, you get called some of the most... uh, like if a white person said these things they would be derided like across the board they would be I don't want to say lynch that <laughs> might be going a little far for this episode but I'm saying they would be they would be vilified and yet black people throw these terms at each other just left and right when they don't comply or they don't you know go with the crowd and it's it's fascinating to see, again, from the outside. I mean, I'm just watching. I'm act- I have access to it through, you know, internet and uh, some of these commentators and everything. But the idea that there there's, like, black skin and, and there's, like, dark skin and white skin supremacy. Like, it's, it's fascinating to see. Like, uh, there's hatred and animosity within the black community towards they they like judges judge the shit out of each other based on how dark or how light their skin tone is and we're gonna let's let's turn another corner here and we're gonna go into we're gonna go to a dude who I I, I like this dude but he would not like me is my understanding uh is that's how I perceive him this is Dr. Umar Johnson and I believe he actually has, uh, he has he has a degree in education and he's done a bunch of videos and, and things that are out there about pan-africanism. That's kind of like uh, you know uh, African people, African history and that how that got infused in American history and you know Marcus Garvey and in, in a sense, just black empowerment, which I'm not opposed to, just in a general sense, right? Like I'm like almost half Irish. It's like it's like be being opposed to Irish empowerment when you point to the good stuff Irish people have done. You you can point to all the great stuff that Africans have done. That's totally fine. Uh, but he Umar Johnson is almost like the opposite of Tommy Sotomayor. It's like he he takes the downtroddenness of black people and turns it on its head. And I feel like if I were a black person, if I were especially like a young black person, I would find this message very appealing. But let me uh let me dive into uh the <laughs> it's like Dark Skin versus White Skin Supremacy. And Dr. Umar Johnson kind of laying
1: some of that out for you. The smart child. And why is she the smart child? Because she is white. Okay. Show me the dumb child. And why is she the dumb child?
0: Because she plays...
1: Well, show me the ugly child, and why is she the ugly child?
0: Because she black.
1: Show me the good-looking child, and why is she the good-looking child?
0: Because she likes gaming.
3: This five-year-old girl gave some provocative answers during her test. I asked her about them later.
13: Me too. Why, why do you want
1: that skin
2: color?
9: Because it looks lighter than this kind because this looks a lot like
1: that one
0: mm-hmm. yep. and
9: I just don't like the way brown looks because the way brown looks looks really nasty for some reason but I don't know what reason and that's all.
3: so you think it looks nasty
1: well not really but sometimes
3: sometimes and Brielle they asked what color adults don't like do you remember what you said
0: Which
3: one? That's right, that's what you said. Why do you think adults don't like that color? Dark. Dark. And adults, you think adults don't like dark?
13: Well,
9: maybe some adults do, but maybe some
1: of them don't.
10: Mm.
3: The questions that got overwhelmingly white-biased answers?
1: Show me the one you think most children would think looks bad on a boy. More than 70%
3: of the older black children chose the darkest skin tones.
1: Show me the child who has the skin color most children don't like.
3: More than 61% of the younger black children chose the two darkest shades.
1: Show me the ugly child.
3: More than 57% of the younger black kids chose the two darkest shades. Dr. Spencer says the research shows the bias toward white is still very much part of our culture.
1: All kids are exposed to these stereotypes,
3: but what's really significant here is that White children are learning or maintaining those stereotypes uh, much more strongly uh, than the African American children.
15: I respected Shirley, Ch- uh, Shirley Chisholm. I think her running for president of the United States was definitely an honorable thing because I think she did it from a grassroots mindset. I don't mm-hmm. think it was done from an Obama mindset. No, obviously, I was a child at the time that she ran. You know, for uh-huh. President of the United States. But in my research of her and the things that I have come to learn and know about her, you know, although I didn't agree with everything she necessarily stood for, I definitely think that her move for that office was really being done for the grassroots people. I think she was really fighting for the poor, the downtrodden in the working class. Yeah. So for Shirley yeah. Chisholm, she's the sister who gets nothing but kudos, you know, from me.
8: Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts, especially since we're talking about the Civil Rights Bill and uh, just the role, because she's a name that you don't hear often um, um, that is mentioned. She's not mentioned, as we talked about many people, you know, uh, Martin Delaney. And it's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of brothers and sisters. But um, uh, we don't hear their name often, you know. I kind of like her, can't be blocked. And here's
15: another issue. Yeah. Here's another issue, Miss Blue, not to cut you off. You mentioned uh-huh. Shirley Chisholm and you yeah. mentioned Martin Delaney. Yes. Yeah. One of the issues that the black community is going to have to deal with that we haven't dealt with is the issue of light skin supremacy. One uh, of the reasons you haven't heard about Martin Delaney is because he was <laughs> a blue, black, purple, black man. And one of the reasons you don't hear a lot about Shirley Chisholm is because she was a blue, black, purple, black woman. One of the reasons Marcus Garvey was hit for so long is because he was a blue, black, purple man. Uh, You'll find that a lot of our darker-hued brothers and sisters, despite their contributions, history has often overlooked it, not just white history, but also black history. There is a tendency to uh, find more favor with leaders and activists who have been able to pass the brown paper bag test. It is something that we do. Uh, Even in a conscious community, you have that same issue. Um, I've had several sisters make comments to me about many of our scholars, young and old, you know, who have a tendency towards dating only yellow or light-skinned women. Not to say that. Not to say that. A light-skinned woman shouldn't be dated. She's still an African. So the issue isn't being with a light-skinned woman, okay? The issue is only dating light-skinned women to the exclusion of darker hued sisters. And, I mean, I've had a lot of sisters comment to me about the light-skinned supremacy issue within the conscious community and how most of our scholars are dating or married to women who are light skinned and very few of them are married to dark skinned women. In fact, some of them are married to women who are so light. It's hard to even tell they're African women, you know, so that's something that has been ignored, totally yeah. swept under the rug. You know, and one thing about me, and I'm sure you notice about me, you know, I'm all about exposing the hypocrisy, yeah. me, anybody else. or the movement, and that light skin issue is an issue that the black community has not come to terms with. And we're not just talking about light skin people. I want to clarify for your listeners, for those who don't understand Dr. Umar's concept of light skin supremacy, it's more about the psychology of a person than their skin color. In other words, you can be dark skin and be a light skin supremacist. Clarence yes. Thomas is a light skin supremacist, he's a very dark skin man. But he doesn't like dark-skinned people. So light-skinned supremacy isn't about your skin tone. It's about your mindset. And we have a very big light-skinned supremacy issue in the conscious community. We have a very big light-skinned supremacy issue um, in the black community in general. Even when you look at our female speakers, look at our female speakers, whether they be elders or whether they be youth. Nearly all of them are yellow or light-skinned or tan-skinned. None of them are dark sister soldier is probably the only one who comes to mind of being a brown-skinned sister who's on the speaking circuit. And we have to look at why that is, because black people still have an issue with being black. We still have an issue with the original phenotype of Africa, and many of our conscious scholars or speakers, because many of them are not scholars because they haven't studied anything. They just, you know, give their opinions.
0: So that's umar johnson given a general breakdown about how you know uh, like like again it's fascinating to look at from the outside you know like from the outside it's just like it's like what you know like oh the paper bag test and and all this but it's real um Tommy Sotomayor, Tommy Sotomayor, again, kind of from the opposite side, has received that scathing criticism, like, "Oh, he, he's, he's crispy" and all this other stuff, like terms that I don't even know, like slang and slander that I don't even know about. Um, and you, it, it's uh, the the beginning of that clip. There is uh, some I don't know, Anderson Cooper, I guess, uh, CNN or whatever a uh, story about how uh, these uh, little black children are picking from a, a, a sheet of little cartoon children, uh, light-skinned to dark skin, and that the bad children are the dark-skinned ones and the good children are the light-skinned ones, and that there's some, I don't know, some underlying psychological judgment that happens with you know uh, uh, uh being lighter skinned or darker skinned and then that having you know some kind of effect on your your value and your your you know your capacity and your goodness and everything your virtue and it's it's interesting again like to to be in it like we're we're in this now like this is our reality where you apparently have young call it innocent Black children who think, essentially, they think negatively of themselves because they don't... They're not the right skin tone. And that's a continuation of, again, it, like, ties back into kind of all these things. Like, why is it that they think that way? Uh, Do we think that way? What is it that you... You know, what is it that we... <clears throat> what is it that we can do about that? Like, again, these are children. You grow up, you, your opinions change. So, you know, that your your perceptions change and everything. But it's interesting to see that, like, black people in America are in a peculiar situation, right? And again, to be a little bit self-aware, it's like, wh- listening to Umar Johnson in some of his other videos, like, he he wouldn't like me as a, w- a white dude talking about this stuff because I'm, I'm kind of helplessly an agent of global white supremacy and I'm all kind of like part of the problem. But, like, this is, again, the, this is the reality that we're living in. And I don't know what it would take to correct or change, or, uh, you know, again, black people in America are in a very peculiar place. They're kind of a captive population being forced to play along. And there's all these different perspectives about how they should proceed, proceed and, and, are white people even a part of that process, or is it totally just like black people? But I, part of me is like, well, I know interracial, I know interracial, you know, couples that are married and they're having children and stuff. And it's like the the reality is, again, it's this is the whole pie, right? This is our reality. This is our world. This is the United States, and we all generally want the same things and we're all generally trying to find some positivity, some love, some light, right? And and trying to, well, trying to reproduce in a certain sense. Uh, But, yeah man it's like there i don't know, i don't know what more to say i mean I'm, i ran the clock way out on this one and i apologize but we've got a tall we got a tall order in front of us if we're going to cope with our history and we're going to try to make we're, we're going to try to be honest Right. I mean, that's one of the key things here, I think, is honesty is just it, are 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 black people being genuine with their engagement with the quote unquote system in America are white people giving them a fair chance? Uh, and, and never mind white people. What about the What about the Asians? What about all the other ethnic groups? Like Are all of our ethnic groups? Are they all giving it their all and getting a being given a fair shake? Uh, a fair chance and we, we we this is like the beginning right like there there is no solution here uh one, no no one singular solution but i hope that i've been able to bring you some kind of you know perspective on these things and some of these some of these different uh you know deeper base um you know black people voices And, uh, and we move forward again, like we, we, we move forward with our nation, our reality, right? So if you enjoyed listening to me play YouTube videos from sometimes angry black people, head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design. Pick up some of my original artwork. It's all, you know, totally reinforcing global white supremacy and whatnot. But I, I did real work on it, you know. I really did put in my time, and I made it available to you so you can have it on, like, mugs and shirts and all that fun stuff. Or you just head over to the GoFundMe page and throw me a couple of dollars because I'm basically uh, shaking a cup at the Internet and saying, hey, give me some money. I appreciate your listenership. Uh, Head over to my Twitter page, at KStylePodcast. Instagram, Kyle underscore style underscore podcast. Listen to me on Podcast Addict. I I definitely recommend Podcast Addict for all of your podcast listening needs. And uh, stay tuned for more from the Kyle-verse. And, uh, man, you know... This is this is the thing. I I was going to do this episode and I was like, man, like this is pretty gnarly. Like all this stuff gets really big and huge. But I talked to my black friend and he was like, dude, I know you're totally not racist, bro. That's totally how my black friend sounds. And he was like, just do it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And we will see what the results of this are if I get 10 listeners, that's 10 people who have now heard some of this. If it's a million, then maybe we reached a million people. You know, I just talking and I'm just being honest. I'm just putting out ideas here, just asking questions. And I want you to do the same. So until next time, Kyle Style Podcast out.
13: Personally, I'm in the business of now pursuing my own self-interest. And those who are still stuck in the bucket mentality, they hate me for it. Um, But their approval isn't more important than my success. And honestly, it shouldn't be more important than yours either. Stop thinking the way they want you to. Stop continuing this superstition of the white man being out to get you. Fight for your own freedom before the freedom of the collective. Then and only then do we have a chance to improve on average, in mass. Not through social democracy, but through individual successes. So shout out to the people who really believe that blacks can achieve more. Shout out to the individualists, the hoteps, the capitalists. The people who believe that blacks have the potential to rise up, rather than those who pity us and think that the most we're capable of is begging government to subsidize our stagnation. The ones that vote to give us handouts, the ones who make excuses for our shortcomings and reward us for our failures. These are the ones instilling this defeated mentality into our culture. The ones who are telling you that you've already lost the game before you've even picked up the controller. Ignore these people. And in doing this, if you find yourself alone in your reason, in your critical thinking, in your talents and ambitions, if you find yourself in a position where everyone around you is on a suicidal path or comfortable in mediocrity. And in doing this, if you find yourself alone in your reason, in your critical thinking, in your talents and ambitions, if you find yourself in a position where everyone around you is on a suicidal path or comfortable in mediocrity, if you find yourself in this position and you have to choose between saving them and saving yourself, do mankind a favor. Do black America a favor. Save yourself.